Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, April 24th of 2019. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover, a bunch of just little tips. Um, We'll talk about uh, some changes to AMP that are coming up, um, some interesting stuff from Google on structured data, and some local SEO tips as well. Uh, So as I'm recording this, I have to say that those of you who know that most of our office are Leafs fans are in a little bit of mourning tonight as uh, Boston kicked us out of the playoffs last night. I have to say that uh, this has put a little damper for me on the fact that I just got invited to speak at Search Love in Boston. Um, So I'm really happy about that. I've never been to Search Love. I've heard that it's a great conference um, and I'll just have to get over my uh, issues with Boston by then. Um, Search Love is in June. If you are anywhere near the Boston area, I'd love to join you. I think they've got just a few tickets left. So um, if you're going to be there, then let me know and I would love for you to come up and say hi. So let's get on to the news in SEO. There really wasn't any obvious algorithm update that I could see this week. We looked at a bunch of different client sites and really didn't see uh, any that were seeing significant increases or decreases that we couldn't uh, blame on seasonality. Um, And so I think this is a pretty quiet week in terms of algorithm updates from Google. Of course, Google is always working on changes. We'll talk in a minute about some changes to images. Uh, If you're involved in image search at all, then this is something you want to pay attention to. Uh, But there doesn't look like there was anything significant that happened in terms of big algorithm updates over the last week. Google announced uh, something called AMP Real URL. And uh, to me, I thought this was something that had happened a while ago, but um, uh, I think it maybe it was announced a while ago and it's just happening now. Um, and what it is, is uh, the way that AMP pages are currently served is, um, and for those of you who don't know, AMP pages are basically... Um, shaved down versions of your regular pages that just load lightning fast. They use a particular type of HTML that is very, very quick for users to uh, to load onto their phones, um, even if they have a very slow data connection. And uh, one of the issues that a lot of publishers had with AMP is that when you go to an AMP page, you can see clearly that it's served from Google as opposed to your own site. So if I had an AMP page for content that was on mariehaines.com, the user would actually see the URL uh, is coming from google.com. And uh, I think what Google changed a little while ago was that if you wanted to share the URL, uh, Google would actually give you the site's URL as opposed to sharing Google's Uh, page. Um, And what's changed now is actually the pages are still going to be served from a Google cache and they're still going to be very, very fast. However, they will, uh, all users will see the actual original pages URL. And that's good. That's, uh, we don't want Google to be stealing everything from our websites. So um, yeah, so this is a good thing for those of you who make use of AMP pages. There's new information from Google on structured data. I say new information, although there wasn't a whole lot new in this article uh, that I learned. I think it's really exciting, though, that Google is actually starting a series now. Um, The series is by Daniel Weisberg, who is a new Google employee. As far as I understand, he's a new addition to the web spam team or webmaster trends analyst. And uh, he's starting to write some information on structured data. Now, the reason why we included this in the newsletter is that Google is really making a big deal out of structured data. And when structured data first came out, it was kind of 
uh, you know, it was one of these techie things that, you know, some people paid attention to. And the main, you know, the big sites, they're all using structured data, um, although not all of them are using it correctly. Those of you who are sort of small potatoes in terms of your authority, uh, you can potentially boost your authority by uh, putting structured data on your site. There was something that John Mueller said recently where uh, he sort of hinted that, um, you know, you want to do everything you can to show Google that you truly are an expert in this area. One of the things that we're looking at now is use of um, same as uh, structured data uh, to sort of um, emphasize the point that, hey, you know, this author who writes this incredible content on our medical site. She's the same author that writes for the New York Times and for, you know, all these other places. Um, things like that. And so I, I really would encourage you to do more in terms of structured data. Anything that you can mark up on your site, you really should be. And the goal, it's not like you know, if Google all of a sudden sees, oh, you're located in this area, we should be ranking you more highly for that. Um, you know, most sites that use structured data are not going to instantly see an increase in rankings. In fact, you know, I, I think it would be very hard to tie an increase in rankings directly to use in structured data. But we really think that this can tie into Google's assessment of EAT for your site. So one site that we worked with, actually I think we've done this for a couple of sites now, was a really, relatively big brand that rebranded and we used structured data to basically say, all right, um, search engines, you have known us as this brand name, and now we are this brand name. And eventually, Google would have figured that out. Um, but when the site came to us, they had seen incredible drops. Uh, it was with one of the big algorithm updates that happened last year. And, um, you know, after we did more work to sort of make it known uh, who the entities were and um, why the site was truly an expert in their area, then after that, they started to see a massive increase in rankings. This was a really, really good increase. So um, I'm not saying that structured data is going to solve all of your problems if you've seen drops with uh, with uh, quality updates, but if you are not implementing it, it's something that you should do. I'm going to jump ahead to the tools section uh, just for a minute because Joe Hall uh, tweeted out recently that he's got a new tool. Um, I don't know if it's new. Maybe it's been around for a while, but Joe's got a tool that you can easily put together JSON-LD structured data. Um, and what you do is you just kind of put in the tool, oh, I want to have this marked up and then uh, it will actually create the code for you to use. So thanks for creating that, Joe. I think that's uh, a really, really cool thing. Um, those of you who are involved with Google News, you know that there have been issues with Google News indexing. According to Google, these are all fixed now. Um, Danny Sullivan tweeted from the Google Search Liaison account on April 17th of 2019, so last week, saying that these issues should be all fixed. I haven't heard other people complaining about them, so I think that's done. I also haven't heard a lot of talk about the massive uh, de-indexing bug that affected not just Google News, but uh, the entire organic search results. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably fixed as well. So I think if you're still if you were affected by that bug and you still have pages that you are having trouble getting indexed, then uh, you may want to look at the quality of those pages. It may be that they don't deserve to be in the index. Um, so as far as I know, both of those issues are fixed up. Gary Ish tweeted something recently, which is, uh, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot of tweeting these days. Um, so I pay attention when he does. And one of the things that he said was... Um, 
they've made some changes to uh, the documentation to explain what could eat up your crawl budget. Now, crawl budget is a topic that comes up from time to time in SEO, and it's a controversial subject. The question is whether improving Google's ability to crawl your website can actually improve your rankings. So when crawl budget comes up, the general idea is this. Let's say you have a site that has 400,000 pages on it and maybe 200 of those pages are super valuable. They contain your regular services. They contain things that users would want to land on from search. And let's say that the remainder of those pages are just pages that, you know, maybe occasionally get landed on search. Um, They're not really valuable. They could potentially be considered kind of duplicate content. We see this a lot that sites have a small number of high quality pages and then thousands and thousands of low quality pages. So those low quality pages can eat up your crawl budget. Google has a certain budget of um, things that are allocated, resources that are allocated to crawling your site. And they probably have fewer resources allocated to crawling your site as opposed to somebody that's known as an expert um, or a massive website. You know, CNN.com has more crawl budget allocated to it than MarieHaines.com does. So um, the, the main question though is, again, let's say you can improve improve this crawl budget. So how would you improve it? Uh, You'd improve it by doing things like only having pages in the index that are your high quality pages or improving on your internal link structure. So Google can see, ah, this page that they've linked to from multiple places in their site, the anchor text tells us that this page is probably about this topic. And, um, In that case, then uh, those are things that can help Google to figure out, okay, this is where we want to spend attention on this website. So why do I mention this? It's because Gary Ish said that a couple of things that can eat up your crawl budget are uh, calls to Ajax and what he calls XHR calls. Um, We don't have to go into great detail on what that is. From what I understand, it's a form of Ajax. uh, And so if you are a website that's Ajax, XHR, um, you know, any sort of JavaScript that's kind of weird and um, is required in order for Google to see content, then you really, really want to make sure that you're not um, taking up all of Google's resources in just trying to figure out the JavaScript. You really, really want to make it so that uh, Google spends most of their time on your high quality content. Um, This is something where it can be fun to play around with, uh, you know, the old Search Console kind of shows you how many pages are crawled every day or even log files just to see where where is Googlebot spending a lot of time? And, uh, you know, that's something I feel like I should be doing more of myself. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll do an increase on that type of investigation in the future. Um, let's talk about images. So there was a study that was done by a group called SEO Clarity. This was published on Search Engine Land. And, um, what it looked at was how many images are appearing in the search results as previously. And according to this group, as of April 13th of this year, um, there are 10% more images in the top 10 results of most Google searches. So what that means is most Google searches are either containing an image box uh, where they didn't have one before, or they're putting more images in there. And that's significant. I've actually added this to my list of potential algorithm updates. Even though it's not really an update in terms of site quality, it's something where if your traffic dropped around this time, it might be that you're losing traffic to image 
search. Or if your traffic increased at this time, it could be that you actually are getting more image searches. So uh, if you've been seeing significant changes uh, over the last week or two, and um, you do have a lot of use of images, or maybe your competitors use a lot of images, then that's an area where you would want to investigate and see if perhaps the changes are due to uh, the number of images that Google's showing in the search results. This was a cool question that uh, was asked. Um, Donna Snow uh, wrote this uh, question to me on Twitter asking, um, let me see if I can explain this. It's a disavow question. So let's say you identify a domain or a page has a spammy link pointing to your site and you add that to your disavow file. So you add, let's say you add that domain to your disavow file. So let's say that domain decides to redirect that page to a completely different domain. And um, now that new page, which has the same content as the old page is linking to you. Is it enough that you've disavowed the first version or do you need to disavow the second as well? And the answer is um, it can be complicated. So John Mueller chimed in on this and I chimed in on this, but technically the best answer is to just disavow both uh, versions. However, uh, John said that if one is clearly identified as the canonical, then that's the version you want to uh, disavow. So really, the answer is kind of the same in both cases. If you're redirecting page A to page B, then page B is probably going to be considered the canonical by Google. And if the content was all the same on page B as it was on page A, then page B needs to be in your disavow to file. And that's important because, you know, technically, if you were under some type of a negative SEO attack, um, spammers could redirect all, you know, you could disavow a bunch of these pages and then spammers could redirect all of those to new versions of the sites under new URLs. Um, and those potentially could harm the site as well. So, uh, you know, this is a situation that doesn't come up very often. I think in all of my years of doing disavow work, I've never been asked this question. So good question, Donna. Um, I think it's probably not something that most of us need to pay attention to, but you need to know that the disavow tool, as far as I understand it, it's not really complex. So it can't figure out things like, um, you know, redirects and uh, I would even be sketchy in trusting its ability to, you know, tell if a, a domain is the canonical. Um, I'm not disagreeing with John here. I'm just saying it's a very basic tool. It essentially says, look, if you've put this domain in your disavow file or this URL, then the next time Google counts it, we don't want to cast pass page rank through any of these links. And we don't want to pass signals that um, tell us about unnatural links through any of these links. So I, I feel like I've kind of gone on on that a little bit too long. Um, the point that I'm trying to make here though, is if you're disavowing, it's better to be safe than sorry and be very, very aggressive uh, with your disavow and disavow everything that potentially could be an unnatural link. I know some of you are arguing with me right now as I said that. I'll put a caveat on that statement and say, provided you know how to identify what unnatural links are. Um, and if you are a site that has had a history of uh, building your own links for SEO reasons, then you're going to want to be more aggressive than a site that really hasn't been involved in doing that. Um, there was information on robots.txt file and uh, whether you could use a noindex directive from within that file. You can, although Google has said that they don't technically recognize it. So I wouldn't put too much uh, reliance on using noindex in your robots.txt.
There was an interesting study here by Kyle Blanchett, uh, who um, posted a tweet that said they did a little test where they removed a bunch of referrer parameters from uh, internal linking. And so we do this as well. You know, you have an internal link that uh, has a, a parameter on it that basically says, oh, somebody came to our newsletter because they clicked on the sidebar. And this was a link from uh, this particular advertisement page and things like that. They removed, and recently John Mueller had said that uh, it probably isn't a good idea to link internally with parameters like that. So I don't know if Kyle's test was done uh, as a result of John Mueller's statements, but what they did was they removed a bunch of these URL parameters, and they saw a great increase in how much crawling Google did of the canonical version. So again, if I have, let's say, my newsletter, and I'm trying to track where people are coming from to my newsletter, um, you know, I might have the canonical version and then I've also got all of these URLs that have different tracking parameters on it. Um, and what Kyle said was once they removed these parameters, there was much more crawling of the canonical version. Now, that kind of makes sense, actually. And, you know, I, now that I'm thinking about it, as I'm saying this in the newsletter, of course it would increase crawling of the canonical version. If I have 10 different versions of a URL, and let's say all 10 of them get crawled, I don't know, a hundred times in a month in total. And then I, you know, so maybe 80 of those are the canonical version and 20 are different uh, versions with URL parameters on it. And then I combine them all into just one. Of course, the canonical version is going to see more. It's going to see those 20 visits that went to URL parameters actually um, being the canonical version. So that makes sense. I made a note on the newsletter for this saying, you know, okay, sure, there's an increase in crawling, but is there an increase in rankings and traffic? That's what I'd like to know. So I know... Um, I'm not trying to put down Kyle's test at all here. I think this is great, and I think we should be doing more tests like this. Um, and maybe I'm missing some of the information, but uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think I, I, it's something I would like to test at some point in the future, too. Um, John Mueller uh, was asked in a help hangout some inf interesting stuff on quality updates and how to uh, deal with these if you were hit by a quality update. So Glenn Gabe had a really good series of tweets about John's comments here, and I'm going to read some of them. He said, and this is quoting from John, if the overall view of your site makes it hard to tell you're an expert, then that can play a role in terms of quality. Um, and so how do you tell Google that you have experts working on your site? Well, this is EAT, isn't it? Uh, so author bios are good. Every author should have their own page on the website. Every author page should be extolling that person's EAT. It should say where they went to school, why they have experience in this area, where they've been quoted in other places, things like that. Um, the other thing too is to also have, and this is from quoting from John, what he called expert level content. Um, and that's going to be something that takes time to develop to, to be an authority. And I often use myself as an example here. You know, when I first started writing about SEO, nobody had a clue who I was or what I was writing. And I wrote content that was helpful enough to people that eventually 
other people started linking to it. They started referencing it. And over time, I became known as an expert. So I would really urge you, if you've been hit by an algorithm update that we think is related to EAT, I would really urge you to look at your content and see, do you have much content that's not something we would consider expert level? Um, so an example that I give is I worked with one site that uh, had a lot of content for seniors and they had all sorts of articles on diabetes in seniors. But these were really fluff. Um, you know, anybody who was just recently diagnosed with diabetes, if a senior was recently diagnosed, they're going to be doing a lot of research on this, or maybe their family is going to be doing a lot of research on this. And this article from oh, all of these articles from this particular website were like, here's the things you need to know. Um, you know, you need to measure your blood sugar. And, and it, but it was like, a, it was like a 300 word article on diabetes, nothing groundbreaking, nothing that they couldn't find on WebMD or other medical sites. So if you're going to write YMYL content, then you need to really, really expand on it. You need to pepper that content with references to scientific references. Um, you need to do everything you can so that if somebody was shown your article and the articles that are currently ranking in the top 10 for that keyword, it would be super obvious that they say, wow, this article is by far the most helpful to me. The other thing that John Mueller mentioned, which has gotten a lot of attention in the last few weeks, again, is Amit Singhal's 23 questions for Panda. We use these in our site reviews. We look at it, you know, and we say, uh, and one of the questions is, is this article written by an expert or enthusiast who knows the topic well, or is it more shallow in nature? Um, and it's unbelievable how often we see when sites are hit by quality updates that they're often lacking things that are in Amit Singhal's 23 questions. You can find those very easily if you search for them. I would really encourage everybody who's trying to produce a high quality website to spend time uh, again looking at Amit Singhal's 23 questions. Uh, let's see, I think we're almost near the end here. This is really interesting. This came out recently that um, apparently uh, a former product manager for Blogger, so Blogger is Blogspot uh, that was acquired by Google and um, people can publish their own blogs on it. We all know that, right? Uh, apparently, Blogspot tolerated spam on their uh, network uh, in order to grow engagement metrics. That's really interesting, right? Um, you know, when Blogger came out, I think it competed against a number of different blogging platforms, and uh, it definitely took off. But I can't tell you how much it is used for spam. So I'm not sure if this report is talking about SEOs creating free Blogspot domains so that they can rank microsites or, or create microsites to link to their own properties from, um, or if they're talking about comment spam. I think comment spam might be more of the issue. Uh, interesting to see, though, that Google tolerated it for a while, and now I think they're uh, trying harder to work on this type of spam. So if you are a spammer, you know, your days are numbered. Uh, it's <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm not giving you a threat here. I'm basically just saying that Google is doing everything they can to try to combat spam, and they have some really smart people working working on it. So if your model is, let's figure out how we can make this website super valuable so that everybody finds it the most helpful of its kind, that's a much better model than black hat spam. Um, but you need a lot more expertise in order to pull that type of thing off. In terms of local SEO, 
there's a new thing that's come out where Google My Business for some situations will suggest a post. So if you're using Google Posts, uh, there's been a couple of users that have said that they've received an email from Google saying uh, a suggestion, hey, you could make this into a Google Post. And they seem to say, uh, tend to be basically testimonials um, from, uh, or, or I guess reviews, they're taking content from reviews and making them into a nice, uh, Google post. So, uh, that's kind of cool. And I think, uh, you know, business owners who don't have the time to be continually creating posts might find this useful. Um, similarly for GMB, uh, there's something rolling out from Google, which will allow you to create a short name for your business. And the way I understand this is instead of directing people to a big long URL for uh, your Google My Business profile, uh, you can say, yeah, go to g.page slash Marie Haynes or whatever it is for your, um, you know, you create for this short name and it's an easy way. Uh, Bright Local has written a bit about this and so you can find more information there if that applies to you. Um, this is interesting too, uh, something that Joy Hawkins mentioned on the local search forum is that um, if your business gets suspended, your Google My Business listing, and then it gets returned because you know, you've know you stopped doing whatever it is you were doing to spam uh, or break Google's terms of services, you are at risk for losing your reviews. That's kind of serious, right? Um, and I don't know how I feel on this. I feel like this is probably a bug on Google's side and not something that's there by design. I mean, I can understand what Google might be thinking. They might be saying, look, you broke the rules and uh, you know, we caught you writing your own reviews, so now we're going to take down all of your reviews. It's possible. Um, I think, though, that in some of these cases, businesses can be hurt by low-quality SEO companies. So if you're an SEO company and you know that if I get more reviews for my client, they'll probably rank better, and you start making your own reviews for your client and they rank better, and then they get caught for writing their own reviews... Is that the responsibility of the business owner or is it the responsibility of the SEO company? And I don't know. You know, I think I'd have to look at a few situations to to decide on my own. But um, I think the reality is we should be really careful and not uh, try to spam our way to the top of Google My Business results, uh, local maps results. One final, uh, going back to SEO tools, uh, Garrett French has an interesting tool from Zipsprout that allows you now to find sponsorship opportunities. So sponsorships being, you know, if a local little league team uh, needs a sponsor, you can sponsor them. And in most cases, you will get a link pointing back to your site. So when Garrett reached out to me to include this in the newsletter, I hesitated a little bit. And I said all of this to, to him. So he, uh, he knows that um, I'm not saying any of this behind his back, that these are technically paid links. Now, why did I include it? Because in some cases, not all paid links are going to be considered uh, spam by Google. So if you are a local small business and you want to find an opportunity to sponsor a couple of organizations in your city, I think that's fantastic. Um, if you're trying to do this in a way that scales, you know, I don't know if you can use this tool to uh, find hundreds of sponsorship opportunities. I think it would be very expensive to do that. Um, and I don't, I think that's something where uh, it could potentially cause a manual review and you could potentially have issues with the web spam team, but really only if this is done on a big scale. So I think this is a cool opportunity to get the odd link. Um, I think it's an even better opportunity though to get out there in your community and uh, do things that 
um, you know, make your community talk about how incredible a business you are. Uh, and so, um, so anyways, it's worth taking a, a look at if you're interested in that type of link, just know what the potential risks are. Um, so that's about all that we have for this week. This has been a busy week for us. We're hiring a, a new staff member. And so we've got a bunch of interviews. Interviews are always very interesting. I'll tell you, if any of you are interviewing for an SEO job position, that's actually something I should write a post on is, uh, how to get an SEO job. I can't tell you how many, uh, of our interviewees um, really didn't prepare for the interview. I mean, some of them are fantastic and we're going to have a hard time choosing. Uh, but when I asked really basic questions about our company, what we do, and, you know, a couple of them were like, well, you do something with Google, right? <laughs> now, to be fair, we're... Um, you know, we're hiring for an entry level position. I'm not expecting somebody to completely do a site audit uh, in order to get hired by me. But um, just pay attention. You know, we've had people too that they, uh, they gave us their social media profiles to look at. And then we go look at their profiles and they're full of bad language and just, you know, complaining about politics and all sorts of stuff. So be careful what you're sharing if you're trying to get a job with somebody. Just that's all I'm going to say on on that. Um, one final note: our waiting list for site reviews is down to about two to three weeks now, uh, possibly four weeks. Um, we at one point had a four month site review uh, waiting list. We've got a whole team of really really good auditors here, so we're getting through these a lot faster. Still takes us a good one to two weeks to do our full site quality review. It's very very extensive. So if you're interested in that at all, you can reach out to my team and I at help at mariehaines.com. And as always, you can reach me on Twitter at Marie underscore Haynes. And so that's all we've got to discuss this week. I really hope that uh, the warm weather for those of you who are in the same hemisphere as me starts to uh, uh, come and we get a lot more time outside and we don't have to be focusing completely on site reviews. Um, but until then, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings and hopefully we'll talk soon.